Hi, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Two Drink So today's kind of gonna be like a mini sode. Um, cause I ain't gonna lie. Your girl over here been pretty active here lately and her body feels like death. It's fighting against me. Like, what are you doing? We don't act like this. So, I just want to like roll into a ball like a potato and like, <laughs> sleep. <laughs> so, today we're going to jump into the case of Amy Widener. And she lived in Indianapolis, Indiana with her mom, Gloria, her two sisters, Tanya and Cassie, and her older brother, JP. Um, her mom, Gloria, had been divorced and she was working hard and working a full-time job to support the four kids. Um, Amy came from a very loving and supportive family and she was pretty much all around a great kid and she excelled in school. She was on the honor roll consistently and very involved in clubs and activities through her school. However, at 14 years old, Amy had to break the news to her mother that she was around five months pregnant and the father of the child was 17-year-old The father of the child was 17-year-old Tony Abercrombie, which I had to like Ooh, almost like, get whiplash. Like Abercrombie like, and Fitch? Is that the right name? Like, does he smell obnoxious? Um, but that was his real name, so Tony Abercrombie. Um, and he was actually a friend of her older brother, J.P.'s. And she had secretly been sneaking around and seeing him. Ooh. That was her sneaky link. Scandalous. Except this was like 1989 and they wouldn't call it that. So, Amy told her mom that she wasn't going to drop out of school just because she had extra responsibilities that she had to start picking up now. And she proved that she could be an amazing mom and a student because she continued to make the honor roll. And she only makes... And she only missed six days of school after giving birth to a daughter, Emily. It's pretty impressive. Oh, yeah. Like, one of the girls we work with took off three months. Granted, she had a, you know, a C-section. But, like, to only miss six days, even after a natural birth. Oh, my God. There was somebody we worked with. There was somebody that we worked with that came back in, like, a week. If that. I think it might have been less than that. But, yeah, she was... But yeah, she was she was driven to succeed and like um I have read somewhere else that the only thing she really couldn't balance as well was like trying to be a, like a social butterfly, like a typical teenager yeah. her age would be. But that's because she was she's busy being a mom. She wasn't always dumping Emily off on her mom because she knew her mom was working hard too. Especially now since there was another mouth to feed in the house. Well, you don't see that anymore these Mom. days. That's why you have shows like Teen Mom. Oh, true. Sorry if you're a fan. Anyways, Gloria made it clear that she wanted Amy to have nothing to do with Tony and she didn't want him to be a part of her or Emily's lives. Amy continues her life as normal, heavily involved in school, balancing a social life while raising Emily, and her entire family was there to support her. Amy was doing very well, given her situation. Um, which I feel like, yeah, that's, that's not a very easy thing to do. 
at that age. No, and like I think that the fact that this is like the very like beginning of her story is that she's already kind of like in a struggle situation. She's a single mom, a single teen mom. But she's managing. She's managing, but it's just sad. On November 13th, 1989, Amy told her mom that she wasn't feeling well and she decided to stay home from school. She also said she would keep Emily home with her as well. Emily was almost two years old at this point. At around 9.30 a.m., Gloria tried calling Amy to check on her and was getting no answer. Gloria called their neighbors and asked them to go knock on the door, but with no answer. She decided to leave work because she was starting to get worried. I mean, like, that's the worst feeling ever. Yeah. Like, you know that gut feeling when somebody sends you a text, it's like, hey, we need to talk. Or, like, you get a phone call and it's at, like, 1 a.m. from your mom. Oh, yeah, you know something's not right. And then she's like, oh, I just forgot to pay the garbage bill. Could you run out there and pay it for me and I'll give you the cash back? You couldn't have called me in in another hour? To tell me that? I thought somebody was dying, Mom. It's yeah. 1 a.m. That kind of gut feel. Oh, God, it's the worst. Gloria, <laughs> Gloria returned home to find Emily walking around upstairs. She was confused as to where Amy was and then walked into a horrific scene. Gloria found Amy lying on her bed covered in blood. Gloria rushed back to Emily and sees that she didn't have a scratch on her. Thank God. Yeah. Um, Gloria calls 911. Emily, in two-year-old style, basically told Gloria that she was trying to wake Amy up and that Amy was being mean, meaning that she was fighting back. Oh my god, I just got goosebumps from, like, my ears down. That's, like, awful. Could you imagine? Could you imagine? And I mean, like, not saying that there's not some kind of trauma there for this two-year-old, but, like, hopefully if there's any kind of, like mercy in this world she doesn't remember yeah because if she does it's bits and pieces that are hard to put together but like i couldn't imagine because you imagine just hearing that come out of your granddaughter's mouth like like i was trying to wake mommy up but mommy was being mean like yeah ah! like mommy mommy wake up mommy mean yeah ah Oh my god, it makes me want to cry. I can't do it. So, Amy had lacerations to her head. Her clothing was ripped and they found blood spatter and a palm print on the wall. So, a bloody palm print. As if it couldn't be any more true crime. Um, Amy had been beaten, strangled, and sexually assaulted. She also had defensive wounds. So, it was obvious that she did fight back, but unfortunately, she was overpowered. The police said that the crime scene was very messy. So... They collected hairs and DNA, hoping the killer's DNA would be somewhere in that room. They also took Amy's bedding, which had traces of semen on it, her clothing, and the piece of bloody plaster wall that had the handprint on it. Police also found that this person had taken the family's stereo system. So, the police's first theory, obviously, was that this was a robbery gone wrong. That's what it sounds like if you're going to take some shit. Exactly. Somebody's sexually assaulted, murdered the kids number one there, untouched not being kidnapped, not like shoved in a closet or something, you know what I mean? Like, It's just kind of strange. It's you know, The kid was just left there to her own devices 
And then the only other thing you can really see is missing is stereo. So that would make sense. Um, Amy's family determined that there was a few things missing. And one of them was Amy had been saving money for her band at school. And she had a jar that she kept uh, that had money in it. And obviously that was gone. And the stereo that was taken belonged to JP. And police determined that there was no forced entry. And the back door was believed to be where the killer came in. And then the police started thinking that Amy knew her killer because it seemed like a little bit of overkill and almost passionate. Um, and that would also explain the no forced entry and maybe possibly while the kid wasn't kidnapped or hurt or something. Right, exactly. Because it could, you know, that could indicate that it's somebody in the family. That they didn't want to like cross that line of hurting their kid mm -hmm. or it could be somebody that has a key um and as we'll just jump into here shortly is somebody who knows the family's movements and the routines that kind of thing yep so so they started to pull some suspects and Amy's brother, JP, always had friends over. And the police believed it could have been somebody who, like I said, had knowledge of the family's routines and maybe didn't know Amy was going to be home that day. So they were just expecting the house to be empty. And this kind of helped them think that robbery was a real motive um, and that it could have been the robbery gone wrong because if they were somebody that knew the routine and where the family would be going, like, okay, Gloria's going to work. JP's older, he's he's going to work, the younger kids are going to be in school, the kid's going to be in daycare, everybody's going to be home between this block of time, and I can go in, get what I need to get, and leave. But the hiccup was, Amy was home with the baby, because she didn't go to school that day. But it's just a little strange, because usually you think, oh, robbery gone wrong. To me, it doesn't sound like you're going to sexually assault somebody. It just no, that to me is not fit. It doesn't it doesn't fit that. Like if and why not steal more shit? Yeah. And leave the house a wreck. Because yeah. usually when you do a robbery and you're looking for shit, you're gonna make a total mess of the house. Yeah, but going back to the robbery gone wrong, somebody being there, especially somebody that may know you and could easily identify you, that can put a hiccup in the plan and throw your entire plan off the tracks. Because, you know, not many people are just going to murder a two-year-old child. True. But an adult seems all too easy. The sexual assault's kind of the outlier. That doesn't quite make sense. Um, because if you were there just to rob somebody, then you could have just killed the person, grabbed what you need to get, get out. Mm -hmm. But then again, like I said, her being there was a hiccup. And, you know, once you kill somebody, that's kind of like... I was going to take the VCR, but... Nope, shit. gotta go. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So within two days of her murder, there is a funeral held for Amy, and detectives found this to be a very important part of their investigation. Police figured that Amy's killer may make an appearance at her funeral. The first suspect was... Da-da-da, Tony. Fitch. And simply because he was the father of Emily. He was ruled out very fast and had nothing but good things to say about Amy. Also, the handprint and hair samples did not match. So he right, can continue to, to stalk him in the dark corridors of heavily smelling rooms. Exactly. So, 
I couldn't find out, like, going back to the beginning of the story, like, why Gloria didn't really want anything, like, Amy to have anything to do anymore with Tony. Um, I never came across anything like that, but obviously if they take it back to the science, if the samples don't match, like, OJ, if the glove don't fit, you must have quit, so. And, you know, maybe she just didn't want, um, you know... Amy to end up having another baby with him or something like that. Oh, yeah, that could have been a situation because, I mean, she was, like, 14. That's a lot. That's a lot, lot. Yeah. Yeah. you can't even get a job at 14. True. You're supposed to be doing, like, algebra and... Playing with sticks outside. Okay, maybe not playing with sticks outside. Like, maybe going to, like, sock hops with your friends. Okay, ride your bike. Yeah. Do fun things. <laughs> Do teenager things. Don't get out here getting pregnant. But I don't know. So anywho. The next suspect was Troy Jackson. He lived close to the family and somehow had knowledge about the stolen stereo. But then again, I mean, JP could have just told him. I don't Whatever. But uh, Exactly. The police brought him in for questioning and asked him to take a polygraph, which he passed. Uh, Troy had no wounds on him, as they knew Amy had fought back. His hair and palm prints also did not match the evidence found <coughs> at the scene, and he was immediately cleared. But the police started to look into other suspects. Right. So, even like going back to the science for him, he had no wounds on him. The hair and stuff didn't match, but he wasn't immediately cleared. So they wanted him to take the polygraph, which. Never take a polygraph. Never take a polygraph. But, anyways. So, Amy's case goes cold after that. Um, from 1989 to 2002, there were no new leads or information. Until the police received a tip from a man who had lived across the street from Amy, who was 16 years old at the time Amy was killed. This person told the police that he had quote dreams of what happened to Amy and that she was communicating with him. He had knowledge of what happened to her and details of the crime scene. This man, however, was described as having a learning disability and was home on the day Amy was killed. And he apparently had a quote episode at school and left early. Hmm. So I'm not really sure how much that played into them discrediting him, but there's that. Um, so the DNA from Amy's case had been preserved, and by 2002, dun dun dun, technology finally evolved, um, and the testing of DNA had improved. They took the DNA from this man, and it was not a match to the crime scene, so he was ruled out. And the other previous suspects, such as Tony Abercrombie and, and Troy Jackson, they were also ruled out as well. And again, the police were back to square one, and they had new... Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The police were back to square one again, and they had no other leads. That's really got to be not only terrible for the police, but for the family to just constantly not know anything. Yeah, because that's 13 years from 1989 to 2002. And now we're going to tack on another nine years. Another nine years. So, of, 22 years. Yeah, of no information. <laughs> and by 2011, a new investigator had taken over Amy's case. His name was Sergeant Detective William Carter, and he was not a homicide detective, but a nuisance abatement officer. 
He was active on social media to bust underage drinking. That sounds right. like the shittiest fucking job. I'm sorry, but like, just be scrolling <laughs> social media hoping to catch some little hoodlums. I mean, yeah, but like, also think about all the cops that get on there too, like, posing as like drug dealers oh, and yeah. stuff like that, making drops and stuff. It's crazy. But yeah. So. Detective Carter started going back through Amy's case, looking through the funeral book and Amy's new Facebook memorial page, looking for any signs of strange messages. He came up with about six suspects and started investigating... (laughs) And started interviewing people around the area, seeing if they knew anything about Amy's case. One neighbor gave him a name that had never come up before, a person that was very familiar to the Wedner family... A man named Rodney Dink. Rodney Dink. What a terrible name. Is it worse than Amber Crombie? Okay, no. No. It's not. I'm fine about it. No, Dink is better. Because I'm thinking like kindergarten Tony. Like, here's how I write my name. Tony. Scribble, 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 scribble. Yeah. Stupid. So, Ronnie was now 42 years old, but in 1989, he was an 18-year-old and frequent visitor at Amy's. He was good friends with JP as well. Ronnie also was never a suspect and was never mentioned to anyone until years later. 22 years, to be exact. No one ever brought up Rodney Dink. He even still lived in the area. Damn. And Detective Carter called him and wanted to speak to him. They made a plan to meet, but when that day came, Rodney didn't show up. No, and funny story. So Amy's daughter, her name is Emily, which is my name. It turns out that um, Detective uh, Carter went over to Rodney's and his wife uh, said that he was just gone. He had gotten a car and he was gone. He rented an Avis rental car. Damn! That's my name, y'all. Emily Avis. Anyways, so, not that that's... Okay. So, he went back to the bloody palm print to see if Rodney had a criminal record. And he did, in fact. He had been arrested for battery in 1991. Just three years. Three years. Actually, two. If I could do math. Two years after her murder. So if somebody would have mentioned Rodney Dink two years Mm. after her death, we wouldn't have had to go the last 20. They compared his prints and palm print to the crime scene. And guess what? It was an absolute match. So Detective Carter was absolutely flabbergasted. And now they just needed to find Rodney. Again, like I said, he rented an Avis rental car to escape from police. But, unfortunately, technology and vehicles had also advanced. So, there was OnStar in the car, so they could find the car super easy. And they were able to track him down. Rodney had actually gone to visit a friend, and when the police tried to arrest him, he yelled at Detective Carter, quote, I didn't do it, then slits his wrists. Yeah. So, he was cut pretty badly. But this is just insult to injury. Spoiler, he doesn't die. He's fine. Um, I mean, he's not fine. He's in prison. But 
They tased him because he still continued resisting arrest after that. So he's just bleeding everywhere. He's still just resisting. bleeding everywhere. Fighting, and they're like, mm. stay down. Yeah. Pizza came in garbage. But anyways, in the end, Ronnie Dink was finally arrested. It sounds like he almost went for the whole, like, suicide by cop method, but it didn't quite work out for him. Yeah. Yeah. Cops don't care if you cut yourself. It's once you start coming at them with a knife that it becomes an issue. Yeah. Because, Holy like, even shit, if you're, like, though. five feet away from somebody with a knife, like, it doesn't take but, like, two seconds to close that gap. Just saying. So, I mean, I really wonder, though, was it a robbery gone wrong? Did he just want to kill her? Was he just... I mean... What the hell was his fucking motive, really? Other than... Oh, I just got this itch to do something bad. Like, what? So, I couldn't find anywhere where he definitively made a statement. But in 2012, just 10 days before his trial was going to begin, Rodney took a plea deal. He pled guilty to the murder and rape of Amy and was sentenced to 65 years in prison. So, he's going to die there. Cool. The theory is that Rodney saw the money that Amy had been collecting and wanted it for himself he knew, or at least thought he knew, the family's pattern and that, you know, everyone would be at school or work that day. And he came in through the back door, which again, like I said, Amy stayed home because she wasn't feeling well. And she was basically just killed because he, or she, shit, she was killed because she ruined his plan. And he knew that she would be able to identify him so he couldn't leave her alive. Um, he killed her, took the money, and took a stereo and went undetected for years. And she was, what, 14? No, she was 14 when she got pregnant. So she was 16 years old at the time. Yeah. 16. I don't know if she had a job. I couldn't find any of that. But, I mean, like, there could not have been that much money in a jar that would have been worth it to kill somebody. No. And only escape with, a, like, a mason jar of money and a stereo. That's what you that's what you took in exchange for one of your friends' sister's lives, hmm. somebody's mother, somebody's daughter, somebody's sister. And the kicker is, so he said he had no idea Emily was in the house and he never showed any emotion or remorse. How do you Garbage. not how do you not realize there's a kid in the house? If you're that good of friends with somebody like, you know, you know that there's going to be a kid in the house. Yeah. Maybe not specifically on that day because you thought everybody was going to be gone. Like, maybe it's going to be the daycare. Amy's going to be at school, whatever. That's but, insane. I still don't understand sexual assault. Sure, kill her because she could identify you. But why rape? Why? Uh, like, uh, that's still... It makes uh, no sense. Like I said... That's like an outlier. But this is also kids where you shouldn't do crime because not everything goes as planned. Hmm. I mean, it worked for him for 22 years. Okay, fair point. But... Finally caught up to him. Karma is a bitch. Don't kill somebody. Oh, no. I'm not saying kill people. For and... a jar of cash and a stereo. No. 
If anything, be a vigilante. Crickets. No! That's not any better. Okay. Just don't kill anybody. Unless you're playing Call of Duty. Or something like that. Like, I'm not, like, condoning killing. It's not what I'm doing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, sure. You're really driving that point home. I'll tell you, though. I think at some point in everybody's life, you, you could have that little tinge of being a serial killer. I think it's in everybody. I think that everybody has a moment where they're like, yeah, I just want to stab you in the temple and watch you die. Mm -hmm. But that's a fine line between people who think that and are functioning members of society and people that actually do it. Yeah, true. <laughs> don't don't kill people. Just don't do it. It's not worth it. You're going to end up in a little 8 by 8 cell. It's going to be stinky. Don't drop your soap. Yeah. You're going to be somebody's bitch. It's just not, all around, it's just not going to be a good time for you. No. Just don't do it. Also, don't trust your siblings' uh, friends. Yeah, don't be friends be, with their friends. It could be sketchy. I mean, this pretty much doesn't even make me want to invite people in my house. Hmm. Ooh, that made me think of another case, but I'll save that for later. Maybe cover that one. Sounds like a plan, Stan. Whoop whoop. Alright guys, as always, um, like I said, this is kind of like a, a mini-sode, but don't trust anybody. They're just out to steal your money and kill you. Stay safe. Don't die. Later. Bye.